Welcome, everybody. My name is Mikhail Nasrani, and this is Islam for Christians, episode 38, Quran, Surah 107, Al-Ma'un, The Small Kindnesses. Hast thou observed him who belieth religion? That is, he who repelleth the orphan, and urgeth not the feeding of the needy. Ah, woe unto worshippers! who are heedless of their prayer, who would be seen at worship, yet refuse small kindnesses. Okay, so that, as usual, was the Pickthall translation, but um, the others are different enough. I want to read one more here. Um, this is the Sahih International. Have you seen the one who denies the recompense? For that is the one who drives away the orphan and does not encourage the feeding of the poor. So woe unto those who pray but who are heedless of their prayer, those who make show of their deeds and withhold simple assistance. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al-Gandhi. This is usually considered a Meccan surah but some have argued that it is both Meccan and Medinan. Many commentators have vociferously denied this, but for those who do think it's both, I completely see their point. Because the first three lines and the last four lines are, arguably, addressing two entirely different audiences. The first three lines are talking about those who deny religion or deny the day of judgment and don't care much for orphans or the poor. You know, that sounds like a pagan community. Then, look at the last four lines. Who does that describe? Who else, other than Muslims, would be going through the motions of prayer, or doing it just to be seen? So, it seems that the first three address a Meccan audience, and the last four would probably address a Medinan audience. But, God only knows. So, an interesting note on the Arabic here. Go back to that first line. Hast thou observed him who belieth religion? Or in simpler English, more modern English, deny religion. Uh, more on Pickthall's word choice there in a minute, because it's um, pretty spectacular when you get down to it. Some other commentators, um, commentators, I should say translators, most, most of them actually translate this as denial of the day of judgment or something similar. And they're not wrong either. Uh, funny thing about deen, uh, which is the Arabic word in question here, deen can mean faith or it could mean the actual day of judgment. There's a couple definitions. Um, it may not mean the proper noun day of judgment exactly, but a more general judgment or the recompense, as you'll see in other translations, 
or the verdict or something like that. It depends which verbal root you actually bother to pull the noun from. Dean one or Dean two. It's one of those words in the dictionaries that doesn't just have one definition. It has a one and it has a two. Dean one means to borrow, you know, or to be indebted and all the types of words that would stem from that. Dean two means to profess a religion. The noun form of that is then obviously religion. It's the reader's choice which dean to go with here. So it's interesting to see the choices made among the commentators. So, you know, Dean 1 is more likely to give you a translation of the Day of Judgment, because like I said, it means to borrow or to be indebted. And what happens on the Day of Judgment? Well, the debt comes due. God, the banker, is coming and saying, hey, uh, you, you got that life I gave you? What did you do with it? Jesus said something pretty similar in the Gospels. But Dean 2 is specifically religious, and you'll see that's in the Pickthall translation that I read first um, at the top of this episode. Hast thou observed him who belieth religion? Now, most translators emphasize the denial of the day of judgment, meaning people are heedless, recklessly disregarding that they will one day be called to account for their lives. But I think there's some assumed mind reading in people being heedless of the day of judgment. Because heedlessness of accountability isn't the only reason people do wicked things. Fear of hell isn't always enough. There are plenty of people on this earth who think they're going to hell and are just okay. They're fine with it. Astoundingly. Um, ACDC wrote a whole song about this. Now, obviously, Highway to Hell was not a theological statement, and in no way should it be taken seriously. I, I'm just having some fun with this. But just for the heck of it, just for fun, let's take that song seriously. Um, if you haven't heard it, um, just punch in YouTube or some other place and listen to Highway to Hell. <laughs> um, here, the lyricist is going to be just fine living a wicked life and accepting the consequences. He's not denying the day of judgment. He doesn't lack faith in accountability. What he lacks is religion, or at least a thoroughly coherent understanding of religion. He lacks the spirit of true religion. In other words, he lacks Dean. He also clearly lacks understanding of what kind of host Satan is going to be, but that's a different point. So I think the Pickthall translation is better here. Those who belieth religion, not deny religion, not lack religion, belie religion. Now, what makes this word choice so good? What makes this word choice so good is that it captures the element of disguise that is a theme of this Sora, of the people pretending to do one thing but meaning another. For those whose second language is English, uh, for those who just don't know, belie isn't a well-known English word. It means to disguise or to contradict or to run counter to something. And it's not usually used in the way Pickthall used it. It's usually comparing two specific things and not in the more general way Pickthall uses it. 
uh, just one example of this usage, the normal common usage of, of Belai. Let, let's say you meet the notorious serial killer, Ted Bundy, who was famous for being a nice guy on the outside and a killer on the inside. Now, you'd probably say Ted Bundy's charm belies his evil nature. Or one more example, the grizzly bear's massive size belies just how fast that animal actually is. It's not a word you hear much in modern English anymore, but it may have been more common in Pickthall's day. There's also another more expansive reading of this from Muhammad Assad, or Asid. I actually don't know the pronunciation. Apologies if I got it wrong. A less, you know, he's a lesser-known commentator, but a favorite among one of my former professors. We're still just talking about the first line, by the way. Um, so about this, Asad writes, Hast thou ever considered the kind of man who gives lie to all moral law? That's his translation. Hast thou ever considered the kind of man who gives the lie to all moral law? Um, interesting. That takes it a step further, noting that the man isn't just lacking religion, he's lacking morality entirely. He took Dean to the next level. This is not Dean 1 or Dean 2, it's Dean 3 uh, that he created, and it's actually very interesting. Uh, and, and that's written for a more modern reader who believes that one can be moral without being religious, which is why I think he just took that element out of it. Now, regardless of the particulars of language, the overriding theme here is sincerity. Be it charity or devotion to God, this surah is emphasizing that Islam must be practiced sincerely or it doesn't mean anything. Well, it doesn't mean anything, but you know, you get the idea. The Quran is decrying the uncaring and the greedy, but also people who are overly prideful or who are hypocrites. Those who pray insincerely, or in the Muslim case, sloppily, they are not offering valid prayers, nor is a prideful prayer heard by God. The point of prayer is not to show everyone how pious you are. You know, especially if you're a jerk when you're done anyway. You know, a while back, there was a trend in the Muslim world, maybe a decade or two ago. I'm not sure if it's still going on. I haven't seen anything about it lately. But it was popular to have a mark on your forehead from praying very often and very vigorously. It's possible some, you know, actually had this condition genuinely. But this aura would address those who only pretended to be pious or exaggerated how often they prayed just to look good. You know, the people who would just sit at home and grind their forehead into the rug just to be fashionable. It's a reminder that people will not be judged by appearances. God will judge your inner intentions. God knows your heart, as true in Christianity as in Islam. Really, in many ways, much of this could be right out of the gospel, easily. Uh, just for fun, here's some that come to mind. The first, Matthew 6.6. 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
like Surah 107, the lesson is to pray for the sake of prayer. Do not do it for social status, because that invalidates the whole process, the whole point. Um, here's a second. Matthew 23, verse 2 to 7. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. Phylacteries are a thing they wore. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Again, insincerity and public piety. The warning here is about religious authorities who are more concerned with their own power and prestige than with God or the people they are supposed to be taking care of. Here's another one, Luke 18, 10-14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, I love that passage, by the way. That's very special to me. Uh, for anyone who has ever been in the position of the tax collector and felt the way that the tax collector felt, it's just such a such a touching passage to read over and over and over again when you've been there. Um, and it's also a reminder that those who are close to God are not always the most obvious. God loves a penitent pimp more than a grandstanding clergyman. You know, that's as true in Jesus's time as in Muhammad's time as in our time. And one last one here, Luke 10, 25 to 37. You might recognize this as the good Samaritan. Um, for any non-Christians listening, this is a story you absolutely have to know. But uh, most Christian kids know this by the time they're like five or six. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, Je to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite's kind of a holy man. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, you know, the Samaritans were, you know, the enemy. Just think of this, insert any enemy you can think of in wherever in the world you are. So, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus then told him, go and do likewise. Now, the key part here, at least for this episode, uh, revolves around the priest and the Levite. A Levite was basically someone in the priestly caste. So a Levite and a priest are kind of a, in a similar category. The point here, who is practicing faith, practicing Dean, and whose faith is just for show? You know, the, the idea being the Levite and the priest, their faith was just for show. But the Samaritan, he had Dean, he had faith through his actions. And so you go back to the priest and the Levite, this insincerity, this hypocrisy, this empty virtue signaling, it is just as reviled in the Quran as it is in the gospel. And in the final line of the surah, the Quran is telling you how to recognize someone who is for real, someone with true deen, someone who has absorbed the spirit of the faith. It's about small kindnesses. The true believer is someone who makes a constant habit of small kindnesses. Now compare that to a person who does a grand public act of charity, but fails to hug his child, compliment his wife, hold the door, let someone in in traffic, clean up a mess he didn't make, and do the thousands of small things that build people up and make the world a more forgiving place. As Muhammad said, you're smiling in the face of your brother's charity. Commanding good and forbidding evil is charity. You're giving directions to a man lost in the land is charity for you. You're seeing for a man with bad sight is a charity for you. Your removal of a rock, a thorn, or a bone from the road is charity for you. You're pouring what remains from your bucket into the bucket of your brother is charity for you. Muhammad is talking about the small kindnesses, al-ma'un. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time, inshallah.
Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.